Welcome to the eighth episode of the Commitment Issues Podcast. We've made it this far, Woody, which is saying something. I suppose this is, we're inching in on the 10 episode milestone, which, you know, is not something that I thought we'd ever reach. I figured we'd get this thing nixed and, you know, our bosses would throw fits and, you know, we'd be uh, banned from the air. But here we are and, uh, you know, ready to talk college football recruiting and whatever else kind of has permeated our world in the last week. Uh, how are you doing, man? Happy holidays. Oh, thank you. I'm very excited uh, to be doing another show. Like you said, they're still letting us do it. Our, our audience has dwindled to just our friends and family, but uh, that's okay. We got we got to talk to them at some point. So this is a, be- a best way to do it. Yeah, definitely. We'll start this week with uh, Michigan outside of the southeast a little bit, but kind of tying that in the work that they are doing in Florida. I had a chance to go to Devin Bush's announcement, the Rivals 250 linebacker that committed to Michigan last week. Uh, They've really been doing a lot of work at that high school and around Florida. They got the commitment from Devin Bush. They got the commitment from his two teammates and Josh Metellus and uh, Devin Gill, the linebacker. And, you know, it's kind of been a microcosm for the work they've been able to do in the southeast and in Florida, or they're trying to do anyway, since they hired Jim Harbaugh up there. Uh, Bush picked Michigan. There is, you know, some buzz that the head coach at that school, who is Devin Bush's father, uh, that won a state championship this year for the first time at that school, might also be headed to Michigan in some capacity. That bush or that that buzz continues to persist around him and in South Florida. I think you know if I'm a gambling man, I'm betting on that still happening at some point. Uh, that talk has not died down down here. Well, it's interesting. You know, you, one thing you mentioned him and his father. His father, of course, played at Florida State in the school he picked. Uh, the Wolverines over was the Seminoles. Uh, there was some, t- of course, you know, one of the common trends in recruiting is when a school misses out on somebody their fans and the coaches will sort of leak out, oh, we didn't want him anyway. So what was the story with Bush? You know, was he a guy that Florida State really wanted? And is this considered, you know, Harbaugh's, you know, first major win down there in South Florida, stealing a guy away from the Seminoles? Yeah, yes and yes. Florida State absolutely did want Devin Bush until the last minute. Um, They were, I think, pretty confident that they would get them until the night before the announcement when Bush called Michigan and let them know that it, he that Michigan would be the pick. I don't know if he called Florida State, but I know the Florida State coaches were confident going in. So, yeah, it was a tremendously big win for Michigan and South Florida to get a guy, especially, you know, a guy that had Florida State ties in his family legacy away from the Seminoles, who are kind of the hot program in the state right now. I think it's it demonstrates what Harbaugh wants to do. I think that Michigan and that brand is capable of selling South Florida kids and Florida kids in general on Michigan. Uh, they'll need to be some more sustained on sustained on field success to get the ball really rolling. But it's pretty clear that they want to recruit Florida, uh, and they're doing a pretty nice job of it numbers wise. And obviously, Bush is kind of the the kingpin of that that Florida class right now. But you know, they're trying to to move this forward. They offered Josh Uche, a South Florida defensive lineman, uh, in the 2017 class yesterday. And you know, I think they're trying to parlay this. Uh, I, I don't think this is the last. Bush won't be the last South Florida kid that landed in this class, so to speak. Well, you know, and then Bush is by far the most uh, high profile. You mentioned uh, his teammate who was also committed actually won the MVP at one of our events uh, back in the spring. But, uh, you know, they've got a couple commits, you know, from Alabama. They're really working hard in Georgia in the class of 2017. But a lot of these guys they're taking, especially, you know, from, from Georgia, you know, right now at least, mid three-star guys, guys without a ton of offers to other schools, 
do you think they're identifying these players early? Do you think they see something we don't? Or do you think it's just a strategy of let's get some guys from that region in the fold and hope that uh, you know it can maybe help other guys to come in as well? You know, like so many things, I don't think it has to be one of those or black and white. I think it's probably a little bit of all. Uh, I think that we've discussed ad nauseum now on this podcast how to recruit Florida and how you have to take the right players and you have to do favors for the right you know coaches and seven on seven coaches and it takes some working your way in. Uh, obviously, I think Michigan sees some things in some of these guys. Uh, they're not just taking bums to take bums. I don't think. I don't think these guys are bums. Uh, their valuations are either a different than ours or b you know they they think these players fit a need a lot of them and a lot of them probably do. But you know the perk of that is. Being able to kind of get in with other players, I expect uh, Keyshawn Pai Young, the wide receiver, it's eventually land at Michigan, and he's you know a high borderline, he's a three star, high rated three star, borderline four star guy that's probably going to land there eventually. And then it kind of, I guess, the hope is that it snowballs from there, right? You get your name out in the community and kind of around the region. Uh, the on-field success comes, and then it snowballs. And if you can get real hot in in Florida, um, uh, you can sustain long-term success. And I think that that's kind of what Jim Harbaugh is hoping to build towards. So they, so they do have, you know, for the record, they've got commitments from Florida, Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee. So they, they have worked hard. But, uh, you know, another school that was that is doing a good job of recruiting, Auburn, surprisingly in the top ten. I was actually uh, on campus to watch Antoine Jackson commit this past week as we were both covering commitments, kind of bouncing back and forth in between being on the road and, and covering events. And, boy, what a show it was. I, I had a big Periscope audience watching as we had a, a full assembly uh, they told us to be there at 2 o'clock. Uh, Jackson didn't announce until sometime after 3, after the entire school was there for a normal assembly. We're talking awards given out to teachers, the band playing, the choir. It was a, it was quite a scene. I mean, it was just it was crazy. But, you know, once again, Auburn, quietly, they didn't have a big year. They, they got Kyle Davis earlier in the cycle here, and now they got Antoine Jackson. They're stealing players away from schools like you know, Georgia, uh, maybe even, you know, Tennessee, Auburn, or excuse me, Alabama. So, I mean, the Tigers have been able to recruit well, and I think that, you know, despite the downfall they had this year and a down year, I do think they're on the rebound. Now, what's your kind of feel on Auburn, and especially talking to guys down there? You know, obviously they're they're a brand, a full-fledged brand. And I suppose the question is, how long can you live on – you know, how recent does your success need to be to live on a successful program? I mean, they're not that far removed from that national title. But I mean, it may seem like they are, and in our worlds they are, but I think prospects still, I think if you, they don't they don't see Auburn as what Auburn was this year. They see the larger picture, I think. Um, schools have down years, and right now, you know, maybe they're on the borderline of losing some of that luster with a couple other bad seasons, but, I mean, they still... They're still that brand, and, and, you know, they still can market success. It's not like they've been downtrodden for years here. Uh, I think the opinion of Auburn and Florida, anyway, is still very high. Uh, they don't do as much work down here as some other schools do, and maybe that's by choice. Um, but, you know, I, I think they're still involved with, with, with plenty of players down here and, and will be going forward, I think. So kind of pulling the curtain back on the announcement process, we cover a lot of these. I know some of them are a lot more fun than others. Some of them we know what's going to happen. Other times you're really put through kind of a dog and pony show and you're dealing with, you know, a, a situation where you're, uh, or the player almost thinks like it's going to be a press conference and really you just want to do a one-on-one video interview and the whole school's kind of waiting on you to ask questions. It's really bizarre. So what's your take on kind of 
the announcement situation at schools and the the evolution as we've seen guys do it on TV. And now it seems like every kid kind of wants that TV moment, even though, you know, there's no TV. It's just me and you sitting there in our, uh, you and your boat shoes and me and my cargo shorts. <laughs> oh, which I'm so sorry that you still insist to wear. Um, I, you know, they're up and down. I don't mind them. Um, they can be kind of fun, especially with the, you know, the advent of Twitter and, and, you know, it kind of gives us, people like us, a chance to kind of laugh at ourselves and make fun of the whole situation, which, you know, I love to do. Um, they can get tedious, like the one that you were at. The one, Devin Bush's was smooth, man. I mean, got in, got out, talked to some other Michigan commits. I, it went, yeah, it went real well for me, but I've been to some uh, that drag on. I, I, I guess I can see it. I understand it from the prospect's perspective that everybody wants their moment or whatever. You know, I think a lot of these guys look back on some of, the, some of these theatrics years down the road and are probably a little embarrassed. But, you know, I look back at a lot of things I did in high school. Uh, specifically, like, I am just so happy that they don't archive high school and college newspaper, or they didn't when I was uh, doing it, on, on, online. Because if you can find, like, some of the things I wrote for my high school newspaper or my college newspaper online, I... Oh, Man, that's some embarrassing stuff. Anyway, I'm kind of getting sidetracked here. But, yeah, you know, I, th- I think some of these announcement things, they will regret <laughs> down the road when they look back on it. They'll shake their head and kind of let out a sigh. But, you know, I get it at the same time, you know, wanting to have your moment and wanting the hat ceremony even though nobody's really going to see it but dudes like me and you. Well, the one of the craziest recruitments that we saw over the past few years and turned out to be uh, uh, one, of these, one of these classic things that you love where a kid announces he's – staying committed to the school he's committed to uh, the entire time. Kyler Murray, the Texas A&M quarterback, we saw him announce uh, that he's transferring this week, that on the heels of Kyle Allen transferring, and that was actually something we brought up in one of our early episodes that really drew the ire of uh, the Texas A&M fan base when I suggested Allen should leave. Uh, There was talk of, you know, for those of you who watch American Horror Story, uh, there was a lot of talk about uh, some of the things done in the season premiere of that show being... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they suggested that you were they suggested that you uh, have a a, a drill like uh, apparatus, a, a drill like device sh- sh- apparatus shoved inside of you, yes. which was you know brilliant. I mean, that, word for word, I was uh, you know I was I was taken back by by the creativity. It was a little crass, but it turns out that I was right. So sorry, Texas A&M fans, <laughs> but uh, that that is what happened. God, now you. Murray leaves too. I don't think we expected that because at the time. You know, Allen had been benched in favor of Murray. Then it, it turns out it, it ended up going the other way around when Murray got hurt. Uh, all this drama, everyone now saying, you know, Kevin Sumlin's going to get fired. Based on the kids I deal with, Texas A&M is still a desirable school. Uh, but then we do know people down there, you know, have unrest. And you, you of course, have dealt with it when you were out west uh, based in Arizona. They recruit there very heavily. So what's your take on someone? And do you think he can survive all this uh, quarterback drama? We, when I say we, it's not usually you and I, it's other people in our business are so quick to just, everybody's on the hot seat, you know, like, you know, let's fire Kevin someone because he lost two quarterbacks and had a bad season. I, yeah, I think he can survive. Will he? I, I don't know. Um, you know, that really depends on, it's not like they're incapable of, of getting somebody to come in and play quarterback right away at Texas a It's not like, He's recruiting to a wasteland. Uh, you can get a quarterback there. And he's got Tate Martell lined up coming in eventually, but you know he's got to get a stopgap, I suppose. I think well, he I can survive it. I don't, it. I don't know if he will survive it, but I think he certainly can. I don't think. I think it's kind of been 
people are treating him like a lame duck coach already, I think, and that's my issue, which I don't think is the case whatsoever. Well, the issue is, you know, we got to remember Johnny Manziel was a three-star quarterback coming out. I mean, he was not supposed to be the savior. He he sped up the timeline by going in there and competing with Alabama right from the get-go. And now, okay, Kyle Allen, you, you know, had his ups and downs over over his two years. I, I still think, you know, of, of the running game is the real problem there, and Allen not being a super big threat to run kind of hurt them. The Murray situation kind of ties into what we're seeing in quarterback culture. I think, you know, his dad played at the school. His dad was a legend there. I honestly think it would have been better for him to go out of the state of Texas. I mean, maybe go to Auburn maybe go to Oregon, two schools that also had quarterback issues, you know, this past season. I, I think getting away from it all and kind of, you know, he was a – Murray was a legend in Texas. I mean, I think I saw our boss, uh, Mike – or uh, our national recruiting analyst, I should say, Mike Farrell, say that, that Murray actually blocked him on Twitter because he wasn't ranked high enough when the rankings came out. I mean, you know, you got he's already got rabbit ears. He's in Texas where he's never lost a high school game there expecting this kid who's five foot nine to walk in and save the program and be the next Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel redshirted. I mean, this is, it's not that easy. And I think, uh, you know, they, he, unfortunately, he kind of learned the hard way. And, you know, the expectations that were set were just a little too high for him. And you, you noted quarterback culture. We should talk a little bit about that. Is it quarterback culture or is it football player culture because of services like Rivals and, and others that kind of cover these guys? Uh, throughout the process, and by the time they get to college, they feel pretty entitled. And you know, quite frankly, that's a lot of, on us. You know, I mean, sure, I mean, it pays our bills. I mean, I'm not going to stop doing it because it's the moral or right thing to do, and it won't make a difference if Rob Cassidy stops covering recruiting. But I, I don't know if it's just quarterbacks, really, as much as it's recruiting culture. Uh, and maybe it's a little bit easy to transfer these days, and maybe it should be easier. But that's a whole different conversation. Uh, I, I just don't know if you can just like stick it on quarterback culture. Well, but the, the the quarterback is a marquee position. I know, and and you know we do take some of the blame there. I think a lot of it also goes with the coaches who are you know selling selling promises that they can't deliver on. And I think that may be what uh, what happened in the Murray case a little bit in terms of you know talking to you know who knows what he was promised. I know I've talked to a lot of players. You know I, I hear from players in past classes that are unhappy at their current schools and. You know, they say that you know, they were told a lot of things that didn't happen, and that's just true. I mean, that's that's going to happen. I think that build up, you know, coaches are recruiting for their job, and it's really easy to say, "Hey, don't make these promises," when your job doesn't depend on getting a kid on campus. Uh, if like my family's meals uh, depended on my success, I'd, I'd lie to a player or two to get them on campus too. Of course, college coaches lie. That's what they do. They lie to the media. They lie to players. It's you know, they're almost politicians in the way, and they're forced to be, though. I mean, it's really easy for us to get judgy on them when our salaries aren't tied to on-field performance and tied to recruiting. You can't get mad at the kids because, you know, 17, 18 years old, how do you know what you really want? So, you know, it's tough to place blame for what's happened here, and I don't know that there is a solution, but it's certainly something that, that, that exists in the world right now. Well, and, and quarterbacks are going to continue to transfer, and I don't have a, I have zero problem with it. I don't think you do either. I think uh, you know, but the 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 problem is it, when you're not get, you, you need to wait and and grow and develop early in that process. I think if you're not playing your freshman year and you decide to leave and you're a quarterback, I think that may be rushing it a little bit. 
But if you're a guy like uh, the quarterback we saw at Oklahoma change his mind after you know it was clear that Baker Mayfield was going to be the guy next year, he's got a year left, get out of there and go play somewhere. But I think giving up after your freshman year, or in the case of Will Greer, we're seeing him leave after his you know, redshirt freshman year. I think that's tough. I think especially when you've had success at a, at a school and, the, and there is, you know, an opportunity. Kyler Murray would have been playing next year at Texas A&M. I think we both agree that he would have been the starter. Now he's going to be, who knows, playing baseball, sitting out sitting out a year, going to JUCO. Uh, so, so who knows? But, you know, one of the quarterbacks that I had a chance to visit with up at the Shrine Bowl this week was Austin Kendall. Uh, highly rated guy. He's bounced around in our rankings from you know top 100 to top 250. He's committed to Oklahoma. Was committed to Tennessee. They made a change at offensive coordinator last year. At this time, when the quarterback carousel was going around, he ends up changing his mind. Uh, you know, decommits from Tennessee. They take Jared Guarantano, and, and Kendall's sort of out on the open market. A lot of people thought he was going to Kentucky. Next thing you know, Oklahoma steps in. He commits there, and now he's going to play for one of the top, top schools in the country. So. I think, you know, these kids may be, uh, like Kendall, t- taking a better look at their options and not rushing into the decisions might lead to less transfers because we're seeing kids commit, I mean, after their sophomore year. It's it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, quarterback recruiting is sped up even faster than any other any other position, I think. And, you know, I, I, there are probably multiple reasons for that. Uh, you know, and you'd hate to be like, you don't want to be like the old geezer that's like, you know, everybody just needs to take a slow down here. Uh, you can do what you want, but I don't know that that's going to lead to less transfers uh, because you just can't predict what's going to happen when you get on campus. You can wait and you can be careful, uh, but, you know, you're likely being lied to in some capacity. That's just the reality of the recruiting situation. If you are a recruit, you are being lied to in some capacity. You don't know what the assistant coaching situation is going to be in year two. Uh, you don't really know what the head coaching situation is ever going to be in year two these days because of how fickle that is. So even taking your time, you could still wind up in a situation that you didn't anticipate. I just think, personally, if you're a college coach, I don't know why you're pushing for a commitment uh, to, you know, that early ah, so you, process. So you can show your boss. Look at this. I mean, Al Golden yeah. tried this, right? I mean, this is like the Al Golden uh, trademark was, I'm going to get fired. But watch me get all these recruits really early and, and show my boss he doesn't want to use, lose this class. I mean, they fire him anyway. But, uh, I mean, that was that was the thought process going on there, right? I mean, it's 100% what he was trying to do. Well, no, I, I agree with that Golden was trying to do that. But, I mean, if you're, if you're the coach at, you know, like I said, even Tennessee, why do you need to take a quarterback commitment who hasn't played a game in his junior season, like Kendall? I mean, who knows if, you know, I think they kind of had a mutual parting of ways. But I just think, like, I, I just think the rush to get these spots filled, and then you have guys, you know, who might throw for 4,500 yards their senior year that end up going to Eastern Michigan, and then when they pop up the NFL draft, everyone tells us we messed up their ranking. I mean, we, you know, a guy might not start until his senior year. But, you know, Marcus Mariota didn't start a game, uh, you know, of, of football until his senior year of high school. We end up having him ranked at three-star, and then, of course, it, you know, Everyone brings that up, you know, in regards to the rankings. No, yeah, especially at these big programs. And granted, I'm much better at my job than you, so I got four stars on him. But a new Solomon at Bishop Gorman started and was having a great year at Arizona. Had a great year at Arizona. It was the MVP of the bowl game. Uh, played one year. If you're at a program like that, no matter how good you are, sometimes you get one year. Uh, I mean, sometimes you get two. But a lot of times, it, you're behind a guy. I mean, especially at a Gorman or something like that. And <laughs> then you just don't really know what you have until until it's too late. So I, I agree with you there. All right. So you were hanging out with quarterbacks this week. I think you were at uh, 
our friend Ken Mistroli, a quarterback guru down in South Florida, had a big time event. Kind of tell us about that and what what goes on at these you know quarterback only functions where it's you know forty fifty guys that are brought in to to throw and, and you know what did you see out there? Yeah, well, Mistroli is a guy that trains quarterbacks in in the Florida area, uh, the South Florida area, but also is kind of branched in North Florida and has worked with some guys, worked with the court, uh, Jake Allen and you know some other notable players as well. Um, you know, the event, it's just like any quarterback event. You've seen these things where there are targets and, you know, they're scoring and, and it's, it's very objective. Uh, there's no, <laughs> there's no subjective like at all. It's all by points. So it's, it's just like what they do at the Pro Bowl, I guess, the quarterback competitions where they're throwing at targets and throwing at the nets and you get so many points for throwing at the target. And it's really hard to gauge who's good at these things though, because it's so hard to regulate speed. Like, if you've got a guy that's lobbing a ball and going half speed into a net, like a rainbow, it throws you're never going to make in a game, uh, they end up scoring more points than some of these guys that are really, like, you know, rolling out quickly and throwing rockets. So you've really got to watch if you're going to gleam anything from one of these things because, you know, the point standings don't really matter. Yeah, that's kind of tough because you have, you know, quarterbacks generally are you know, fairly cerebral, and they, the smarter guys realize, why am I trying hard when I can just cheat? And I mean, because you and I could roll roll out half speed and hit the targets and score enough points to finish in the middle of the road, but that's not the spirit of the event. But, you know, kind of getting into that, we're, we're already rolling. I know that you mentioned there was a seven-on-seven trial you almost went to last week. I had a I had a, actually a camp yesterday that I decided not to go to because I I'm about to be homeless in the five weeks and I don't have a place to live. Um, so uh, what's your take on these events? We have spring events essentially starting before today's the first day of winter and we're already in seven on seven tryouts and spring events and stuff like that. Yeah, it's you know it's accelerating just like the recruiting process is, and now you've got all these events for juniors that are starting before signing day. So we're still worried about that class while all these events are are kind of hopping up. But, you know, I've always liked them. I like these events. It gives you a chance to meet some dudes and see some guys that maybe you haven't seen during the season because they're from small schools or whatever and get a lot of really good players in one place and, and get a look at all these kids. So Rob and I will be on the road, you know, and I guess that's all we do is go on the road. Um, I just got back from the Shrine Bowl, but we, you know we'll be at spring events and we'll be telling you all kinds of seven-on-seven horror stories and stuff like that as uh, the spring wears along. <laughs> yeah, the first time that that somebody's entire roster is wrong and listing kids that graduated four years ago, or the first time that we show up in an event, or I travel to Tennessee. Uh, take a flight and show up for an event that's a two-day event, and then it's only a one-hour workout on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, lots of horror stories to complain about. We had this podcast last year, man. I could have really lived on those things. So much crap happens at these things. It's amazing. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Team stealing from other teams is a, is a common theme that uh, actually happened one year. We had a whole bus get, get raided by one of the other teams in the tournament, and then they got kicked out when they got caught stealing and then a couple of their players popped up on another team from cat from halfway across the country so uh let, let me real quick you know. before we move on get in my favorite seven on seven story here because it is the best okay uh when i was working out west i was covering the big seven on seven event they have in las vegas uh this is years ago uh the quarterback at ucla now josh rosen was a sophomore at the time i think uh playing on snoop dogs seven on seven team uh, at this event, I was out there covering with our West Coast guy, Adam Gorney. <laughs> this fight breaks out. And I mean a real, like, brawl to the point where one of the coaches from Snoop Dogg's team had the tournament director pinned down on the rocks by his throat 
like on a pile of rocks and was choking this dude. It had to be like pulled off. They kicked the Snoops team out of the tournament, and I'm walking off the field while they're going to the the cars and the buses to get out of there. And I'm talking to Josh Rosen about it, and Josh goes, "This has happened to us four out of the last eight weeks. <laughs> I need to find a new team." I mean. It's the Wild West out there on seven on seven. Why that is that is crazy. That's that's the West Coast stuff that goes on. That's not even you know Florida where most of these horror stories originate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some um, good ones down here too. So we'll try to share those as the spring moves along. Just quickly on the Shrine Bowl, I actually had a, we had a good week up there. Me and uh, Adam Friedman, who was on the show last week, I did a big feature story on Clemson, their wide receiver recruiting, uh, which I actually talked to uh, the Tigers' offensive coordinator, Jeff Scott, and he's been their wide receivers coach over the years, talking about their recruiting strategy. Some real kind of inside baseball stuff, but very interesting. It's the number one team in the country, and uh, one of their wide receiver commits, Cornell Powell, Really excelled in that game. Very exciting guy. I think we have him ranked in the top 100. I expect him to go much higher probably after that, even though he's from North Carolina. It's, you know, we don't want to give Adam Friedman any rankings bumps that uh, <laughs> he gets enough of those already. But I think Powell is a guy that, that belongs higher. So those events actually do give us a good chance. Go ahead. What, is there a more country club name on the planet than Cornell Powell? Yeah, Cornell Powell is... Yeah, this, this guy's got a tea time at 8.15 at every country club in North Carolina, let me tell you what. Well, you know, he had 200, more than 200 all-purpose yards in the first quarter of this All-Star game, so I was pretty impressed. 54-39, uh, to 39, by the way, the final score in a game that's usually lucky. We're lucky to get, you know, a, a steady offensive drive. So it was very fun for, for from that perspective. Of course, uh, I don't know if you saw my tweets I wasn't allowed in the press box. They didn't have my credential when I got there. They had no idea who I was, despite the fact that I've covered this game for five years in a row. Uh, I got, I yelled at some guy on the sideline. The, they sat me in the crowd with the fans, and some guy, you know, told me where to shove it. Uh, <laughs> so, because I, <laughs> tremendous. It was a real Womack-esque uh, experience. So we, now you and I, you, you actually texted me earlier today uh, because we're going to the Under Armour game. You didn't even know when we're supposed to get there, which was pretty impressive uh, by you considering we're leaving in five days, right? Look, man, when you're traveling as much as I'm traveling and, you know, I have my mom coming into town tomorrow for Christmas and everything's just run together. So, yeah, my text to you was not my brightest moment of what day am I supposed to get to <laughs> But, hey, you know, that's why you're here is to keep track of my dates and, and the things I forget. Well, the big news is it's a Marriott, so you get to stay. We're staying at the World Center Marriott for all our stalkers out there. Um, but you get big-time Marriott points a week at a, at a prime resort like that. I expect you to uh, – that might bump you up further to whatever platinum what, – what status do you have at, at uh, Marriott? Platinum. Is, is the highest. I, I can't get any higher. I don't think I can go double platinum. Uh, although, if anybody should, it should be me. So, so when we're down there, we'll kind of explain how it goes. The players come in Sunday night, Monday morning. We spend a whole day talking with them. They do a lot of stuff. They're doing interviews with us. They're doing interviews with ESPN. And then whatever other riffraff rolls in off the streets uh, to stand out in the hallway and wait to talk to kids. Um, but they're, you know, they're doing TV stuff. They're doing print stuff. They're doing on, you know, online video. We're trying to do features and everything. It's really a crazy first day before they really settle in. But then they practice once a day, and it's kind of a fun event. And more importantly for us, you know, it's really a chance for us to see guys, you know, in full pads, full contact environment, the best of the best, kind of going against each other all week. Yeah, and you know, I'm not going to name names here because that's just cruel. Uh, 
But my favorite thing about these games is when there's like a dude that people have been high on for like two years, and there's always one, and then he comes in and just is terrible. <laughs> Once he puts the pads on and is playing against like other good players, and it's so clear he doesn't belong. Like, and I would never like sell him out or like name names of people this has been in the past. Uh, there will be one this year, but in my head, because I'm a terrible person, I will be chuckling. I have my guess. You know, and the, the, there's also a guy usually that comes in that you or maybe you and I haven't seen or some of the other, because they're from out of our region, that just absolutely dominates, and you're like, it's a freak show. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was Miles Garrett. I mean, I pushed so hard for Miles Garrett to be the number one player in the country that year. I ultimately lost out. Last year, I really liked uh, Canton Kamatule, the monster Hawaiian, who, uh, Hawaii, yeah. who uh, outside of Raekwon Davis, is like the biggest kid I've ever seen uh, at yeah, one of these. Aren't the, aren't the roles reversed here? Aren't you supposed to be the one celebrating people's failures, and I'm supposed to be the one reveling in their achievements? How did this happen? Well, here's the problem. I, you know, and I think we've seen this on the... If, if you if you go only listen into the rankings calls, uh, our audience, you would know that I get real fired up about guys that are overrated, like Rob's mentioning. And, you know, there are guys that I believe should drop more than they do, and sometimes I get outvoted. Uh, you know, there was a guy a couple of years ago that, I mean, literally spent all week just slipping and falling on his face uh, <laughs> one-on-ones. And, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And if you would have told me, you know, he was a five-star at the time, I think he actually finished as a five-star, and his college career has gone about as good as that practice went. But uh, he just, you know, he's, he, he hasn't lived up to the hype of that. And it, it's tough to remove yourself from, you know, you see a guy at this point in our, in our illustrious careers, we're, we've seen guys for three or four years. And sometimes you can almost justify things in your mind because you've seen them dominate in other, in other settings. So you can't, you don't want to put too much emphasis on this. But, you know, like you said, if someone is really great or someone is, is really bad, then, uh, you know, that usually holds true. I mean, look at Leonard Fournette, you know, Jameis Winston, a guy who dominated in the Under Armour game. All those guys kind of lived up while, while as guys who struggled, you know, a lot of them end up struggling at the next level. Absolutely, man. And I, I can't wait for to see who this year's dumpster fire will be. Well, and we'll have lots of pods. I think we're going to do a lot of uh, quick-hitting stuff. I don't know if it'll be put on the iTunes feed. Uh, maybe a lot of it will just be embeddable on our site but uh you know our, our bosses actually seem to like these podcasts uh which is nice where we have a little bit of support from uh the muckety mucks all right so you know enough football talk we gave you a solid half hour if you if there's anything you want to hear us talk about please reach out to us on twitter on that rivals woody rob is at casty underscore rob and then of course we have uh, rivals podcast at yahoo.com now it's time to do a little complaining. It's rants and recommendations time. Rob, I know you've got one of both, so why don't you uh, kick us off? Yeah, let's uh, let's start with the positive here. I've uh, been watching Making a Murder on Netflix, which is a delightful uh, documentary series uh, documenting a guy that was falsely accused of sexual abuse, was imprisoned, DNA evidence later exonerated him. Uh, and he gets out and starts suing the police department for, you know, they locked him up for a decade. And during all this, he catches a murder charge. And I'm in the middle of this. I haven't finished yet. But right now, you know, he's on trial and it's looking sort of like the cops framed him uh, to try to get out of this lawsuit. And it's really interesting. It's a, it's, a, it's a true crime series. You know, it's very much in the mold of the serial podcast, except with video instead of podcasts. It's uh, Nick Kruger would hate it for that reason, um, but it's, it's it's very much in that it's very much in that mold. 
Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it so far. I'm, I think there are ten episodes. I'm six in. I uh, hopefully finish it tonight. Now, as often as we live on the road, Mr. Womack, uh, we do a lot. We spend a lot of time on Yelp. I know you do, correct? Oh yeah, I'm a big Yelp guy. I actually have a, a cross-referencing system that involves using Yelp, TripAdvisor, Urban Spoon, and Foursquare. I mean, I'm I'm really elaborate uh, when trying to find. Yeah, yeah that's the most the, that's the most Woody Womack thing ever there. But you know, usually I just realize I've never written a Yelp review. Um, but I, I do read them uh, when selecting places to eat. I read them a lot. What drives me nuts are these people on there that are using the Yelp app as like a tryout to get a book deal. Have you seen these these reviews? Like it's ha- it's un- it's like unbelievably like flowery language, and it's like, look, man, just get to the sandwich. Let me read you an excerpt here. Yeah, here we go. This All right, a, a special the, reading from Rob Cassidy. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try to make this as dramatic as possible. This is from the Yelp review of Kevin Rathburn's steak in Atlanta, Georgia. Kevin Rathburn's steak has always been a dreamlike place. In sight, but never within reach. A restaurant of the gods, this infernal restaurant was finally a reality due to the occasion of a special birthday dinner. And then we get into everything else. Let me give you another example. This from a uh, French restaurant in Hialeah, which is a suburb of where I live in Miami. Hialeah, the place where you're encouraged to disregard all traffic control devices. The place you can buy your cafetito, your street churros, and your pirated movie CDs and your full-size San Lazaro statues all on the same block. And now, it's the place for spectacular French cuisine. What, what is this? Who are these people? Like, you're sitting there and you're like, you know, I really need to spice up this Yelp review. What's the end game? What are you getting out of writing a food review like this? I mean, and it's not even good. It would be one thing if it was, like, good writing and, like, I mean, fine, whatever. But it's, like, fake good writing? I, I don't know what what exactly they think they're going to get out of this. Like, these places give free stuff if you use Tencent words and, like, misplaced semicolons or whatever is going on here. Well, what's weird is actually you mentioned you don't leave Yelp reviews. I do leave Yelp reviews just because I feel like if I'm going to use it, uh, I should at least contribute a little bit. And I've actually I've left, like, four-star reviews of places, and then they email me and say... You know, what can we do better? Let us f- give you a free meal so we can get five stars. I'm like, I, I feel like four stars is pretty good. But uh, going going back to these people, I mean, I have you have ever noticed- used the term? Have you ever used the phrase "a dreamlike place in sight but never within reach" in one of your Yelp reviews? We should get hold on. You know, and Nick Nick Kruger and I have actually talked about doing a video uh, a video series where we make fun of Yelp reviews because I I take pleasure in the really bad ones that are horribly written and complain about something really specific. Like, don't come here if if you don't like to have peanut butter on your biscuit. You know, like where it's something that. <laughs> Clearly, it clearly only happened to them, but they're like really mad about it, and so they write an entire review. So let's see. Don't I, come I, here I, if you want a server to slam the door on you accidentally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, a, a lot of my a lot of my reviews are short and sweet, though. Not uh, a lot of them are short and sweet, not not long and flowery like that. As you can tell from reading my features, I don't really uh, you know use that use too many big words. So uh, anyway, you, you give me an idea for maybe a Yelp review of the week. Uh, it's when it's we're... not even like the words. It's just like, hey, man, get to it. I came here to read to see if they had a good pastrami sandwich, not to read about people that are encouraged to disregard all traffic devices and buy street churros. That's what the tip section is for, Rob. There's tips and there's reviews. So uh, all right, listen, it's Christmas this week. Uh, we've already discussed uh, the war on Christmas in one of our previous episodes. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> in which in which I declared Christmas was indeed winning. And speaking of what you, you know, I, at Starbucks in Spartanburg this week, I actually bought a uh, Christmas advent calendar that was the shape of a Christmas tree. It was on clearance for nine ninety nine, included a five dollar gift card. So how about that? Now Christmas time. This is a major issue for me, and I'm going to tell you what it is, Rob. It's wish lists. Now I'm sure uh, there's people in your life who maybe send you lists of stuff they want. Uh, this is a trend. Absolutely, absolutely not. This is a trend <laughs> never that, that, to me. that is really taking over uh, my personal life over the past few years. Where now I have multiple family members asking me what is on the other list. Do they have a list I can share. Here's my list. Here's what I want. We're, we're one step away from just having a registry at Macy's of like, this is my, this is what I want for Christmas. You know, I'm registered. I'm registered at Macy's in Crate and Barrel. <laughs> I, I, I said it this year. I said, if anyone sends me one of those damn lists, I'm not buying any presents. And guess what, Rob? Nobody's getting presents. This Christmas is canceled. Uh, for the Walmax, there's only one person in my life that will be getting gifts, and that's it. And it's not oh, you, and that's so, that's so, it. So who? But who presumes? Like, not even like, who presumes that you're going to buy them a present anyway to send? I mean, how many people are you buying presents for? Listen, when you, I am a legendary gift giver. Anyone could tell you that. Uh, you know, Nick Kruger has even been on the receiving end of a few excellent gifts from me. He actually gave me a really good gift uh, following his wedding—a customized U.S. Uh, national team jersey with my own name on the back of it. So, big shout to uh, our producer there. But you know, we're talking family members mostly. You know, I, I was—I promised I wouldn't mention anybody specifically. <laughs> As, Man, I don't get—I don't get my family anything. I'll probably take my parents out to dinner when they come here, but, like, I don't know, man. We're not really the gift-giving type, I guess. No, we're talking about, like, hey, here, this is exactly what I want. You know, this this Michael Kors purse and this size shoe and everything like that. So it's got to it's gotta stop. Listen, if you find gifts for somebody and it's something that you want to give them, buy it. If not, don't go out demanding gifts from people and, and sending a specific list because, you know, I'm not exactly a Christmas purist or anything like that. You know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and rail against commercialization of Christmas. But at the same time, Rob, I mean, don't, don't tell me what you want because then just go buy it for yourself and send me a bill. I mean, just in, just, <laughs> I might do that. Just invoice me. Here's, here's the, here's an invoice. These are the Christmas presents you bought me. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's my only Christmas okay. rant. I don't. I don't have a Christmas I'm, recommendation. I'm going to the Heat game on Christmas. That's that's as jolly as I get, I guess. Uh, well, we're fil- we're filming this. We're recording this on Monday, and I'm actually scheduled to go to the Blazers Atlanta Hawks game today. And I just see on Twitter that not only get get this, Rob. Not only is Damian Lillard not playing. Okay, the Blazers' best player and only All Star and only reason to watch them this season. He's out. C.J. McCollum, their second best player, is out. And on top of that, Salento, the artist who sings the song Whip, Nene, etc., is performing at halftime. So it went from being a pleasurable experience. My birthday's actually tomorrow. This was my birthday gift to myself. Now, instead of getting to have fun, I'm going to get tortured by listening to that song and watching the entire Phillips Arena dance along to it. You are losing the war on Christmas. Jeez, oh, I'm losing the war. I've always been losing the war on my birthday. Uh, that's another thing. Here's my recommendation. If you're going to get somebody pregnant, make sure it doesn't line up with them having a birthday around Christmas because every year people... <laughs> <especially> <laughs> you know, next time I set out to get somebody pregnant, I will... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, do that. The next time you're gonna knock somebody up, how about a little planning, okay? If if it's March, you know, I guess it takes it takes nine months to have a kid, right? So, you know, if, if you're getting into the act in the month of March, make sure you're using protection because uh, I do. I I wouldn't wish having a, a birthday the week of Christmas on anybody, as I've grown up my whole life receiving. Oh, here's your birthday and Christmas gift rolled into one. Uh, I mean. We need to let M. Deuce impregnate the audience with these uh, with these outro beats, and uh, let's get out of here. All right, hey, quick, quickly, remember, review us on iTunes. We're up to 28 reviews last time I checked. Keeps us uh, at the top of that. So review and subscribe. We'll be back next week with a whole bunch, Rob. All kinds of podcasts, me and you talking. Absolutely. See you then.